Father, thank you for this great opportunity to stand before your people and give uh, the truth of missions, what missions is about, why we do missions, why we're involved in it. I, blow, I pray, Lord, you would uh, prick all of our hearts to be, to be conscious of your glory. And not just in missions, but in everything. May it capture us, Lord. May your glory never grow cold to us in any way. And so, Lord, thank you. We do thank you for a church that has always participated in missions. But, Lord, we want to get better, excel still more in everything we do. And so I pray you would challenge us as a church tonight, Lord. Do pray for those who would long to be here but can't. And I pray that you would give them healing, you would help them, you would comfort them, and help them know that we love them, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Missions in the glory of God's name. Um, much of what I've done here comes from Jonathan Edwards and uh, Brian and I's dear friend, who's with the Lord, Steve Fernandez. Uh, uh, two men who have greatly impacted me, reading particularly religious affections and Jonathan Edwards' works, uh, uh, really grabbed me and gave me a, a much fuller view. And if you've listened to Piper at all, he greatly affected Piper, Jonathan Edwards did. And if you had a chance to ever meet Brian and I's dear friend Steve, you would, uh, you would feel this as well. He was greatly captured by the glory of God, and he would preach that. And so it's my privilege to kind of put these into my thinking, but uh, that infected me a lot as I uh, wrote these notes for class. Well, missions in the glory of God. The week before, we started out our missions class examining Revelations chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is a very important passage because it, it allows us to have a vision, to see the vision that John was seeing. It's written down, inspired for us. And in that vision is this amazing scene to help us understand that God had and did save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. And, and what's so fascinating about that text is when you study it, there we are looking at our future... And we know, without a shadow of doubt, that God's going to save people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And so it gives, it gives the church, it gives missionaries such fuel to go out because you know God is going to save them. He promised. They are the ones who sing, oh, worthy is the Lamb. And so the week before, we looked at Revelations 5, 9 through 14, and we learned that Christ calls out men from every tribe and tongue and nation and so forth there. And it's all for his praise, honor, and glory. That's what they sing. You remember that? Worthy to be the lamb. And, and, and at the end, they, they say to his praise and to his honor and to his glory. That, that was the response. And that's missions. Missions is the spread of the glory of God. Sometimes we get it confused with building hospitals and digging wells and helping the poor and all of those things. No, that is a response to the glory of God. Missions is not those things. Missions is the spread of the glory of God. That's what changes lives. Let me give you an example so you know this happened in you. When you got saved, and if you're saved in here, and you know that, and you and the Lord know that, at that moment, God revealed his glory to you through the crucified, resurrection Son of Jesus Christ. You saw him glorious enough to be able to pay for your sins, pardon your sins for all of eternity. That's pretty glorious, isn't it? And he wiped them out, never to charge them to you ever again. See, you saw the glory of God, didn't you? In the face of Jesus, 2 Corinthians. So, see, that's what we do. So, so missions and its ultimate reasons for missions is because God places great value on the supremacy of his own great name and glory. Now, God can do that. You can't. You can't go out and say, well, well I'm going to do this for my glory. We're going to go, you've got a pride issue. <laughs> but God can because he does not sin. There's no evil in him. He's holy. So all that he does, he does for his glory. So the spread of missions is for its glory, and I want to prove that to you tonight through these notes. We'll have to move along quickly to get through this, but that's why I put it all out here. Most of the verses there, we'll look at a few that we'll look up in our Bibles so we can mark our Bibles as well. 
Roman number one there. God's desire is that his name in glory be known. We're going to see this over and over and over in the scriptures. God desires for his glory to be known by all tribes, tongues, nations, and people. A, God desires in, God's desires in saving people is to proclaim his name. Well, let's start with the Israel, this first group of people that he called himself, starting with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We see him give that promise. But here in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, look at this, 21. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. See, he didn't form Israel to go off and do their own thing and worship pagan gods and do all the things they did. He formed them. Isn't that an amazing verb there, right? He formed them. He gave birth to them in a sense. He, he gave Israel as a people to himself, and the goal was for his praise and for his glory. Well, the same is true of the church. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, a chosen race. So isn't, isn't that amazing terms? We've got to make sure we catch those terms. Don't miss them there. Chosen race. God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, is a unique called out race that belongs to God through the blood-bought work of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You didn't stumble your way into the family of God. God chose you to be this race, a royal priest, to think about that, this kingly manner that has the, the ability to walk into the presence of God. That's what that means. Your sons and daughters of the king who have the right to come through the veil by Jesus Christ right into the presence of the king. And notice we're a holy ethnos, a holy nation. That's who we are. We live in a nation of America, but, but we, the church, are the believers. We are God's holy nation, a people for his own possession, not our own. So we don't make up our rules and go along as a church. We don't go, well, we should be doing this. Then we say, what well, as God says, we're his people. Remember the next verse says that we once were not a people, but now we are. We once didn't have mercy, but now we do. And then look what he says here. See this so that there. That's, that's going to tell us there's a result coming, right? From all this chosen race and holy priesthood and, and holy nation and a people for God's own possession. Here's the reason why. So that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's why God saved you. Not to fill seats in a church, although we do that. Not because you were something special. He saved you so you would proclaim him. That's God's prerogative. He can save a person and cause that person who was once a blasphemer be one who praises God. That is his goal. This is the spread of the glory of God. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 with me. And let's look at that prologue that we enjoy so much when we think about how God saves us and what he did to bring us to his name uh, and then the result of that. Ephesians chapter 1, you know this passage. Great blessings is given to the Father and Jesus Christ and, and every spiritual aspect of heavenly places all done in Christ. And you're going to see this term in him or in Christ or through him or before him over and over in this text because it's a, there's a Christ-centered nature to this text. Notice in verse 4, he says, just as he chose us in him. So God, God, you didn't stumble your way into God. God chose you. And notice when he did it before the foundations of the world. And here's, where, here's what he's done for you, for giving you and granting you this salvation that we would be holy and blameless. Holy, without evil, without sin on us. That's our holy position. And notice he, he strengthens it by saying blameless before him. In love, he predetermined, predestined, predetermined us. This was God's goal, to be, to be adopted, right? Adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. That's how we come to Father, only through Christ. To himself, according to his kind intentions. And isn't that a beautiful thing? God saved us out of his kindness. But notice the result, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. See, that's, that's the result of saved people. They praise God. They give him the glory. 
That's the goal of missions. This is what happens when you present Jesus Christ glorious to the nation. God saves them, and now they proclaim him to be glorious. Let's go on. How about verse 7? In him we have been redeemed through his blood and forgiveness, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace, which he lavished on us. Don't you like that term? <laughs> it wasn't just a little bit of grace. <laughs> he drowned us in his grace, didn't he? In all wisdom and insight, and he made, uh, made known to us the mysteries of his will. We now know the plan of God. We now know the plan of salvation. It was a son who was to come and die the death on the cross and beat death and come, come out of the grave. This was the mystery of his will. And he did this again according to his kind intentions, which he had purposed in him. And we understand this through a view of the administration suitable to the fullness of time. You say, well, what does that mean? Keep reading. That all things are summed up in Christ. Things in heaven and on earth. Uh, and then on earth. And, uh, and then verse and a 10. In him also we have attained an inheritance. We have been predestined according to his purpose. It sounds a lot like Romans Eight, right? Who works all things together after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, now look at the result of this again, would be to the praise of his glory. That's the result of salvation. It's to the praise of his glory. That's the result of God's mission effort to recognize us, to bring, uh, reconcile, reconcile us, is we praise him. Now, look at verse 13. In him you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, right? Faith granted you this ability to repent and to believe. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given a pledge as our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession. And notice, here we go, the third time in this text, to the praise of his glory. Everything God does is for the praise of his glory. That is his goal, to be praised. And so missions is about praising God. It's about exalting who God is. We spread his glory. We tell of his glory to the nations. B, um, God always seeks to proclaim his name in glory with men. Now, one of the examples of many that we see throughout the Old Testament is the example of how God handled Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16... This is what the Bible says. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you, Pharaoh, this is God speaking, to remain in order to show my power and in order to proclaim my name throughout all the earth. You're there, Pharaoh, because I'm going to use you and show what I'm going to do to the world to proclaim my name. Now, when we talk about his name, we're talking about his essence. We're talking about his person, who he is. The proclamation of who God is. His, all his attributes that make him up to be this great God worth, pra worth praising. Look with me at Isaiah 63. I love this text. If you want to be encouraged, just read the last six chapters of the book of Isaiah. And, uh, what an amazing promises that come to us through that last section of scripture there. Isaiah 63, 12 through 4. He's reminding the nation of how strong he is and how glorious he is as he rescues. He says, Who caused his glorious arm to go out to the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them. I mean, people say all the time, you know, Moses, Moses split the Red Sea. Well, it's probably not accurate. <laughs> According to this verse, it, said, it tells us he caused his glorious arm to go out at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for him an everlasting name. You know, when we study the Old Testament as we've worked our way through Exodus, when you study that power and authority of God to stretch out Moses' arm, it, it demonstrates his everlasting glory to do that. Nobody can do that. They could stand over the intercoastal all they want. <laughs> and they're not going to get across it unless they go across the bridge or take a boat. Notice this. Who led them through the depths. Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. And the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So, that, so you led your people, and look at this, to make 
for yourself a glorious name. Everything God does is to present himself as glorious. Look back in your notes, Psalms 106, 7 and 8. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at at the Red Sea. Now think about it. After all this is done, there's a rebellion that goes on. They they praise God because he drowns their enemies. And in days they turn around and rebel against them because they're hungry and thirsty. Nevertheless, look what God does. He saved them for the sake of his name. He didn't save them because they were, they were this group that was so great, he just had to have them. He saved them for the sake of his name, for his glory, that he might make his power known. Next page, two, God delivers Israel from Babylon. Ezekiel chapter 36 is this great passage that tells us what God is going to do with the nation. They're captive to Babylon. They've been rebellious. But why is God going to rescue them out of Babylon? Well, look what the Bible says, Ezekiel 36, 20 through 23. When they came into the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Instead of not being like the nations, obeying God, they came into the nations and they actually became like the nations. And when they did that, they profaned God's name. They didn't glorify it. Because of it, I said to them, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they have come out of this land. But I had a concern for my holy name. Isn't that interesting? I have a concern for my holy name, God says, which is the house of Israel had profaned from among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my name, my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. That's the goal. The goal of Israel was to was to worship the name of God, to spread his glory, and they failed. But that doesn't stop God. God is going to be glorified, exalted, despite us. What a beautiful reminder. Let's think of some practical ways here. God's directive for our prayer life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the disciples are asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And out of all the things that he teaches them to pray, look what he begins with. You know this. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. Still quote it in the way I learned it a long time ago. Hallowed, glorious, set apart is your glory, O God. When's the last time you started your prayer with that kind of speech? God, I come before you, before I eat my Chick-fil-A, to tell you you're glorious. You're glorious, God. And I know you're glorious because you saved me. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for providing this meal for me. See, see, that's what God wants. And so when you pray, pray that God will answer your prayers for his glory. So as we pray for lost children, as we pray for somebody who's sick, oh God, save my children, my heart is broken, but save him or save her for your glory. Have you prayed that? Lord, my friend is sick. She or he needs healing Yes, you should pray for them. But Lord, I ask you to heal them for your glory, that you'll be exalted. See, that's, this is the directive of Jesus himself to his, to his own disciples. When you pray, pray this. Pray this way. God, be glorified, and here's my request. When you request of God, request that his works cause people to sanctify his name and esteem and re- regard and cherish and praise Praise him for his glory. God, I'm going to request that you would help us pay our bills this week, but I, I'm requesting that you be glorified as we trust you in a difficult circumstance. See, coming to God for his glory is how he wants us to come to him. Are we selfish in our prayers at times? 
Do, do we, when's the last time we said, oh God, be glorified in this. As I request this of you, will you be exalted? Teach us to pray, oh Lord. Roman numeral number two there, the concept of God's name and glory is central focus scripture. So what is the meaning of his name and glory? Well, name is a reputation, it's renowned, it's uh, fame, right? So God desires his name to be fame and renowned, right? If I said McDonald's, what comes to your mind? Golden Arches. If I say Nike, what comes to your mind? Swoosh. Think about this. See, see, that has been patented in your mind. They did a great job marketing that, and you can see that, right? See, that's how God wants us to think of him. When we think of God, we should think of his glory, his person, his essence, and all who he is. Do you think that way about God? Or do you see him as at the end of a chain, and you pull on it so you can get what you want? See, he's desiring our worship, our glory. There's a great connection with his praise and glory. Look at Jeremiah 13, 11. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. Now, here's the reason he does that. That they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, and for glory... Last words are very disturbing, aren't they? But they did not listen. They didn't listen. You know, when I think about this, I think how many people have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? They've, they've heard Christ preached. And they went away and go, I wonder if there's something there for me that I could get out of this. <laughs> no, it's the reason he rescues, the reason he causes us to cling to him. We sang a song tonight about that. Clinging to Christ and, and holding on to him is that he'll be glorified through it. Notice as we go on, Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For the sake of my name, I delayed my wrath. He's talking about the nation of Israel here. And for my praise, I restrained it for you. So, so just stop there and think about this. God does not give Israel what they deserved because he wanted his name glorified. That's what the Bible says. I, I delayed my wrath. He should have taken them out a long time ago, right? But he goes on and on and on. His patience is enduring and on and on. And he's doing that to show his glory. For the sake of my name, I delayed my wrath. And for my praise, I restrained it for you in order not to cut you off. What a, what a term. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Why do you do this? For my own glory. Well, that changes things a little bit, brothers and sisters, when you're going through a trial. Why are you doing this to me, God? For my glory. Anytime God wants to glorify himself through you, no matter what it is, in some of the most difficult situations that some of y'all are going through, he's doing it for his glory. See, our job is to figure out, okay, God, how do I get on board with how you're going to spread your glory through my illness, through my my struggles I'm going through. I know some of them are my own. I've self-inflicted sin in my life. And, and, and so God, help me repent from this, but help me understand how you're going to glorify you, yourself, through my situation. God, show me. Isn't that beautiful? For my own sake, for my own sake. Notice he says it twice in that verse. That's not a, a mistake in the printing. He says, I'll do this for my own sake. I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? That's what's so astounding about Jesus Christ. This is why they killed Jesus. Because he clearly articulated throughout his ministry that he and the Father were equal. That's why they killed Jesus. Because he made himself out to be God. This verse here, and possibly maybe uh, Paul had that text open when he taught us Romans chapter 3. This isn't in your notes, but let me just share it with you. Romans chapter 3, 
um, verse 23, you know that's that great verse, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It, it wasn't even like we were aiming for it. We kind of go, well, I'll just shoot it over here because I really am all about me. But then he says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. So he declares us righteous as a gift of grace. I think right there you've got to say, oh God, you're worthy of being praised. He declared Scott Menez eternally righteous for all of eternity. Now notice verse 25. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. He's talking about Jesus Christ in his blood through faith. Now here's what, here's, here's this beautiful thing God did. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. So God withholds the idea of the word, the original word is like a dam that holds back a large body of water. And if that dam was to break it would just wipe everybody out. So even in God's forbearance, he shows his glory. If we, if God lets that dam break on us, we die eternally. See, that's worth glorifying him, isn't it? (laughs) Right? Doesn't that capture you and say, he's worth being glorified. He's glorious. He's he's magnificent. He did not give me what I deserved. Somebody I greeted in here and I said, how are you doing? Better than I deserved. It came right out of their mouth, just fell right out automatically. I said, praise the Lord, brother. See, you glorify God. B, the revealed aspects of his name and glory. There are so many here, but I picked out a few. God's intrinsic supremacy of his majestic person. You got Moses. He gets found in the basket, right? And his mom gets him for a little while, but then he goes to the palace. And there he's being raised in the palace. And he's, he's really pure Egyptian, isn't he, in a lot of ways. But one day he's awakened to that. That's his people out there and they're suffering. And so he decides he's going to rescue his people in his own way. And what happens? There's a dead Egyptian built, uh, buried in the sand. Way to save him. <laughs> Moses' way was death. So he runs away, right? You know that? He runs away, he ends up in the desert, runs into his future bride, gets married, and pretty soon he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. And he's on a mountain, and he sees a burning bush. (laughs) And there he meets the self-existing God. He meets a self-existing God. He's the I am God. And after God tells him why he's brought him out there, why this has all taken place, and what he's going to do with him to send him back to the nation of Israel to to get them and bring them out of Egypt for his glory, Moses says, well, what what do I tell him? How how do I tell him who sent me? And God said to Moses here in this 3.14, I am who I am. I am the I am God. I am dependent on absolutely nobody and no thing. You tell them that. I self-exist. It, it's such an amazing statement, right? And Jesus in, in uh, John chapter 8 says that he is the I am. And boy, they pick up stones and try to kill him, right? I am the I am who sent you. He's a self-sufficient God. Think about this. God's never learned. God's never learned. That's an astounding glorious thing to think about, to have a God who needs to learn. (laughs) Right? That's not a God, right? Our God doesn't learn. He's never learned. And we fail to pray. (laughs) Think about this. Romans 11, Paul sums up this magnificent chapter and the glorious grace of God through Jesus Christ. And he says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who, who, came, who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that he might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Notice the end of that. At the end of summing up that nobody can counsel you, we can't do anything for you to help you and give you something that you're, you're lacking, in the end he just says, glory to God. Give glory to God. See, that's what missions does. It teaches, it teaches the tribes and nations and 
people groups and, and it crashes through cultures that, there, cultures that there is a God understood through Jesus Christ that is glorious and mighty and can do things that you can't. That drives missions. Wells will get dug, hospitals will get built. All that stuff will come if you teach the glory of God. And when you look at each of his attributes, they're all infinite. And every attribute draws you to, to the magnitude of his glory. And so Edwards said, we lift his glory, we push his glory up for all men to see, and that's how he draws, him, draws all people to himself. So if missions is more about building and, and brick and mortar and wells and feeding people, which there's nothing wrong with that, often we don't see people get saved. When missions says, we're going to exalt the glory of the person of God, seen and understood through Jesus Christ, that's when he works. That's when he draws people to himself. Two, God's seen attributes, his power, his wisdom, his omniscience. I love this verse, verses, Isaiah 40, verse 22 and through 26. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Well, there's some imagery, right? I mean, the earth is... It's this little peeny, <laughs> little teeny thing that he's sitting back and has his feet up on. It almost kind of looks like that, right? I'm not being facetious or anything. It's just this verse in a, is, a, is a, a great statement, a great figure of speech to show us the, the grandness, the grand, grandness of God, right? He sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. See, so we have to remind ourselves of this, brothers and sisters, because sometimes our circumstances overwhelm us. And for a minute, maybe for a day, maybe for a week, and maybe for some, a long time, you have forgotten how glorious God is. And you've tried to live this difficult life down here in a fallen world on your own strength, and you're depressed, you're, you're, you're full of anxiety, and you're struggling. Happens to me. Happens all the time. I call it spiritual depression. It's because I quit exalting God. I quit realizing He sits above the circle of the earth. Notice He stretches, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a, a tent to dwell in. I have a tent. I don't think I get all the universe in it. But to God, that's what it looks like, right? That's in comparison to his greatness and his magnitude of who he is, right? He is who reduces rulers to nothing. You worried about some justices and leaks and all kinds of things? You a little bit worried about that? News going crazy? and they're, they're, they, You know what they did. You, we know exactly why they leaked that. We, we know what's going on. You worried about that? Well, let's see what God says he's going to do with rulers. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their, root, their stock taken root in the earth. That means they are shallow compared to God. But he <laughs> merely blows on them. And they wither, and the storms carry them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I will be his equal? So we don't go in the name of missions to, in the name of Riverbend, we go to missions. <laughs> so there's, there's nothing you can liken the message in the person of who God is revealed through Jesus Christ. There's nothing equal to it. So to whom will you liken, right? Are you going to fashion something to liken to me, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars, the one who has led forth the host by number. He calls them by name. We've laughed at this before, where they sell you a star and they give it a name. Who are you? <laughs> These are his. He knows them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. But mankind can be alarmed by God's seen attributes and still not repent, right? Look at Exodus. 
Let me set the scene. Moses has been on the mountain. Fire and, and smoke. and I mean, it's just ugly up there. It looks from when you're in Israel. I go, man, what's going on up there? Moses is up there with God. And I mean, it's, it's scary. We can't get past this line. Any animal goes by, any person is wiped out. Man, this, this, is, this is something. He comes down and he reveals the Ten Commandments to them. And then what happens, he gets done, he's, this is after the last commandment is given. Notice the people's reaction. All the people perceive the thunder and the lightning and flashes and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When they saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, this is, there's an intense part of the language here, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. The man sees things that God does all the time. We live in hurricane country. <laughs> Those little spinners that go around out there and come and take things down to the foundation are pretty powerful, aren't they? And yet the God controls the limits of the seas and, and all of that. And, and, and so we, we are in awe of him. And yet people unsaved see the same things we see. And yet they don't want to hear from God. Not his people. Three, God's moral excellence is also seen in his love, his goodness, his grace, his justice. That causes you to exalt his glory. So Moses is tired of this in a sense. He goes down, remember he goes down, back down, and he goes up and down quite a bit. You remember this? And comes down and, oh no, they worship in a golden calf. And Moses says, that's it. He says, God, I'm not going unless you go. I, I, I can't do this. Uh, these people... I'm not going unless you're going. And he finally makes this statement in 3318. Uh, he says, I pray, show me your glory. I've got to see your glory. I've got to see your person. I've got to see your nature. I've got to see your essence. I've got to see you, God. Because, because after what I just saw down there, I can't do this. This is quite a statement by Moses. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim my name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will be compassionate on whom I will show compassion. Now, I'll just stop there for a moment. When you got saved, and God showed you that the only way to him was through Jesus Christ, his goodness passed by you. And you saw it. You saw the greatest of God's goodness revealed in Jesus Christ that he could bring you to the Father, forgive you of your sins, give you an eternal relationship with him. God's goodness passes by you as you see Jesus as your Savior. Is that not true? When you start to think about the depth of that? Well, the next chapter, he comes back. He sends him down and he comes back. Verse 30, chapter 34, 5 and Seven, and the Lord descended on the cl- uh, in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Moses is calling on his glory. He's calling on his person. And then the Lord passed by in front of him. Remember, put him in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over him. And he states, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgressions of sin. And yet, here's his justice, by, will by no means leave the guilty unpunished and visit the iniquity on fathers of the children, from, on the grandchildren in the third and fourth generations. What an amazing statement. So Moses comes away and he would say, well, what do you look like? He looked gracious. He was forgiving. And he doesn't hold our sins against us. That's what he saw. He saw the glory of God. See, that's what we preach here. That's what we uh, um, soon leaving to go to Spain and Portugal and, and Morocco and, and, and going over there to encourage the missionaries and, and to help them and love on them and, 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 and preach stuff like this to remind them of, of what they're doing and, and to encourage them, lift up this God. Don't be afraid. He'll, he'll crush through cultures. He'll, he'll go right through that. Because he loves to draw all people to himself. They'll see, as God opens their eyes, they'll see his compassion. They'll see his graciousness. They'll see his loving kindness. Jonathan Edwards in Religious Affection said this, God delights in his well-known name. 
do we? He delights. God delights in his well-known name. He delights in being known for who he really is. He loves a worldwide reputation, and we know that from Revelations 5. That's what he wants. He wants us to proclaim his glory worldwide. He wants that fame, that glory. And he's perfect in all that he does so he can demand that, command that of his people. Praise God with the Apostle John who said, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth, not his holiness and justice. (laughs) What if that's all he said? Well, that's all, all a person ever sees is the holiness and justice of God that will not survive judgment. But no, we saw his grace. We saw his truth. Roman number three, God is committed to his name and glory, which creates our confidence in him. You've got to have confidence in God, don't you? Want to be a Christian in this day and age? You better have confidence in God. You put confidence in yourself, you're going to fail. We have confidence in God. You're going to go to the mission field, you've got to have confidence to God. A, we are granted with a confidence that God will call a people out for himself. And he's always been this way. God doesn't change, right? He's immutable. So we find the same God in the Old Testament and the same God in the New Testament. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. He delights in having a people here. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. He goes, God, I've really struggled this week. If you knew what I did or where my mind's been or what's gone on in my life. God is glorified because he doesn't abandon you. Isn't that worth praising to him? God, I haven't been, I haven't lived the way you've You've asked me to live this week. I glorify your name because you refuse to abandon me. Will you help me? Will you help me trust you in these difficult circumstances? Two, God speaks his glory and makes his name by redeeming a people. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 23. And of what nation on earth is like your people Israel? whom God went to redeem for himself a people and to make a name for himself and to do great things for you, awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. He loves to redeem people from the nations. I love our church. There's so much diversity, even within just people from America, let alone people from other nations. There's diversity here because God shows he loves to pull people out. And he does it in his graciousness. He does it in his kindness, his love for us. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13, this is in your notes, but I, I jotted it down here. But we should always give thanks to God. Now listen to this. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. This is what he does. He chooses people out of the world to redeem them. You know, we love uh, Revelation chapter 5, but as you get into chapter 7, the scene is is now in front of the throne again, and you come into the the throne room of heaven in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10, and God displays his glory by these redeemed people from every nation and people and tongue and and praise for his name. And in Revelation 7, 9 and 10, he says this, After these things I looked... John sees this. He's, this is a glimpse of what, what God's doing right now in, 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 in the fulfillment of this. And behold, a great multitude which no one could count. Think about that. The Bible says right here that those who will worship God in heaven are uncountable. And they're from every nation, from all tribes and people and tongues. Look at this. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Boy, that's motivation to go to missions, isn't it? It's motivation to give dollars. It's motivation to hold the rope as as the Kyle and Della's and Tons and, and, and Nilo's and, and many of these others that we support are lowered down in and we got it. Go exalt our God and Savior to the nations and we'll, we'll stand with you, we'll help, we'll come, we'll help you do whatever we need to do. B, God's pursuit of his own glory grants us confidence that we will not be rejected. 
This is very important. One, God forgives us. Psalms 25, 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquities, for it is great. I love Psalms 25. Somebody, somebody I think, preached, I think Pastor Paul did not too long ago on the psalm. Psalms 25, 11, For your name's sake, let's make sure you get this, why this psalmist is praising God. For his glory, for his, his name, his essence, his person, all that he is, O Lord, pardon my iniquities. In other words, God, forgive me because you're glorious. And you're so glorious, no one else can do it. Boy, when you need forgiveness, you better go to the one who can grant it. Another verse along that line, it's not in your notes, but Psalm 79.9, the psalmist says, Help us, O God, our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and forgive us of our sins for your name's sake. See, God, first and foremost, forgave us of our sins for his glory. And then we reap the benefit of that God. Daniel 9, 19, this is that great prayer Daniel gives of repentance for the nation of Israel. And it's so interesting, Daniel seems to be a very righteous and upright uh, human here that God had called to be in the, the palaces of those who had uh, had captive, brought captive the nation of Israel. And he says this, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So when he comes to this point where he is, he's now realized that, that the 70 years that were promised by Jeremiah are up and, and God's going to release and bring some back to the Lamb, he begins this prayer identifying that they need to be forgiven, forgiven, but they need to recognize the glory of God. Again, so often when we pray to God and we recognize to Him or or recall to him our sin, do we include his glory? We may say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me at the cross for sin. I, I think there's, there's certainly powerful to say that. But to go on and say, God, thank you for your forgiveness of name the sin because you're glorious, you could forgive me. Thank you for spreading your glory to me that you forgive me and you don't Hold me accountable to those sins. You've wiped them away. You've taken them away. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. I think this verse, if I, well, let me just read this. Does this make you glorify God? When you were dead, a little emphasis there, in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, this sin had caused great disease in you, spiritual disease. He made you alive together with him. God made you alive together with Jesus. Having forgiven all your transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Is that not glorious? <laughs> Is that not the most glorious news you could ever think of to tell somebody? See, that's spreading the glory of God. Look, our God sent his own son to take your sins away permanently. In fact, it was, it was such a great, glorious act that he took our sins and nailed them to his son. And his son canceled them out. See, that's glorious. That's what missions is, spreading that glory Two, God keeps us. We saw this in 1 Samuel 12, 22, for the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name. He won't abandon it. And so in John 6, Jesus stands up in 37, verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. He's not going to abandon me. And as I receive them, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. I'm not going to lose any of them. Because the glorious Father has given them to me, and I'll keep them. God will rescue and deliver us. Psalms 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. Now look at this. 
I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Now certainly there is great salvific nature to this. We called on the Lord when we realized we were in trouble with our sin and he rescued us out of that. But that there's, I think there's a daily aspect, the pressure of living in this ancient world. The psalmist says, look, I'm going to call upon you and I know I can trust you because you're glorious and you'll, you'll, you'll rescue me out of this and I will honor you. I'll glorify you. Apostle Paul gives some insight into his life. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12. Who delivers us from the so great a peril of death? Paul's going through this list. You can see the previous verses. You can look them up later. I mean, there's just death around him constantly. But look what he says. And he will deliver us. See, see he's glorifying God. He, he'll deliver us. And look at this. He whom we have set our hope on. That's, that's who delivers. That's, that's that glorious thing when we share Christ with somebody. Here or overseas. We are giving them the glorious hope of the Lord Jesus Christ that is within us. That's what we give them. And so Paul gives that to them. We have this hope. We know he will deliver us. You love Daniel's buddies, right? They get thrown in the, they're about ready to get thrown in the fiery furnace. And the king's trying to be somewhat gracious. He's a very proud man. And he says, well, just bow down for me, and, and well, you know, it won't be all over. And, and we're not bowing down before you. And you go, well, you're going to get thrown in. Well, we're still not bowing down. And the Lord may deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not glorify in so many words. We're not going to glorify you. We'll glorify God. That's how they live their life. That's why they were great missionaries in a foreign land. Roman number four there, God's commitment to spread of his glory through missions compels us, compels our commitment to missions. Hey, God desires his name and glory to be spread. Isaiah 66, 19. I will set a sign among them and I will send survivors from them to the nations. This is our missional God, right? To Tarshish, to Put, to Lod, to Meshach, to Rosh, to Tubal, to Havan to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and I will declare my glory among the nations. That is such a mission statement right there. We're going to declare, we're going, to, we're, we're, we're supporting missions around the world, and, and we send them and we go there to proclaim the glory of God, Psalm 66.4. All the nation, all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you and they will sing praises to your name. Even when God, Christ gave his great commission, he commanded to be baptized, to be identified in his name. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, Matthew 28, 18 and 20, saying, all authority has been given to me. I'm now the right hand of the Father. I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth. So there's nothing outside of his authority. So what does he say? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We know in Acts, he says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, make disciples. It's an idea that's already happening. Go, go, go. You're going in it. And then he says, baptizing them, identifying them in the name, the person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't go and we identify people in rivermen. I ain't going to save anybody. And it's not that glorious. <laughs> it's just a bunch of sinners that are here who love Jesus. We identify people. We baptize them. We identify them. We immerse them into the person of who God is through Jesus Christ in the Spirit. Now notice, if God desires his name and glory to be spread, the glory of God should be our mindset in all that we do. Now, we've got to get bigger than missions here, right? And this is going to hurt a little bit, trust me, because I already had to work through this myself. Is God glorified in all that we do? Go through your day today. What'd you do today? What'd you say today? How did you act today? Are you identifying in Christ? Are you identifying in the glory of God and the person of it? I, I, I know we fail. Look, I know we're striving. We have this positional holiness God gave us, but we're, every day we work by the glory of God for practical holiness, learning to live out daily. 
what we believe. And so there's this mindset. Oh God, when I pray now, I've just heard a message on this, God. So when I pray, and, and I hope you think about this when you go home, I want to pray about your glory more. Just, just start there, okay? Because you go, Scott, there's big, I got marriage, I got kids, I got pressure, finance, I got all this stuff, and I, I haven't been glorifying God in it. Let's just start with praying, beginning your prayer with glorifying God. Before you go to sleep tonight, tell him he's glorious. Tell him he's beautiful. Maybe, maybe rehearse some of his attributes to him. Tell him, God, you are full of loving kindness. You're gracious. You are truth. Tell him that. And then go on in, in request of him, but, but request of him to be glorified how he answers it. Can you do that? See, I think we, that's how we start on this, right? We start, start by this little step. And then guess what? It starts to flood out into your parenting, into your marriage, into your, the way you conduct your business and, and your finances and so forth. It'll start flooding out into all of those things. Why do ministries and missions fail to apply God's clear desire for his glory to be spread? Why does that happen? What happened to China Inland Mission? What happened to Carrie's ministry? What happened? Somewhere along the line, it gets the, 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 the cause and the, and, the, and the reason and the purpose uh, to spread the glory of God gets pulled down and it gets put on man-centeredness. It gets put on man. And, and so teriology changes because we, we, quit, we quit believing that God is a sovereign God and knows his elect before the foundations of the world. And, and now we, we put all that emphasis on, oh, we've got to get them saved. And we throw theology out. And missions and seminaries and organizations go down the drain through the years. Jonathan Edwards, who's a hero of mine, who a lot of this is coming from, was the president of Princeton. <laughs> now look where it's at. <laughs> they lost. They lost the glory of God. See, our soteriology tells us that God will reach all peoples whether we're on board or not. Do you understand that? Those people in Revelation 5, in Revelation chapter 7, he's going to save them. The question is, is he gonna get, are we going to be involved in that? See, I, I want to be involved. And so I want to help us keep our focus on the glory of God. This is why we do missions. This is why we give. This is why we sing the way we sing, preach the way we preach, live our lives. God may allow us, think about this, allow us to join what he's doing. Our passion, ooh, I gotta go. Our passion to make God's glory known to the nation is the only true adequate driving force for missions. Psalm 67, 2, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. See, our churches need to go to the ends of the earth because God promised to spread his glory there. So we got to go to Mindanao, Philippines, and we got to support Zola Gracia Ministries because God promised to save uh, Filipinos on a Muslim island. He promised to do that. And lack of support for missions is a lack of support for the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 1 through 2, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make, known your, make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations will tremble at your presence. Romans 1, 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Paul says, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Paul figured it out, didn't he? He had an Old Testament he studied the Old Testament, and the Old Testament told him that, that God was going to save the nations. And he believed it. And his faith, the, what he says here is the obedience of his faith drove him to go to the nations for God's sake, for his glory. And I think God's sending us out. Paul says, look, I don't want to build in Romans 15, 20, I want to build on another man's foundation. This is not some Paul's pride that I, you know, I don't want to 
I would never take another church that somebody else started. That's not what he's talking about. He's captured with the fact that God said he's going to draw people to himself from all peoples. And so he goes somewhere different. He goes into Asia. He goes into Corinth. He goes into places where somebody hasn't been because he believes God's promise that he's going to save people. And as hard as Corinth was, he went there because he believed God was going to save people. That's what it takes to be a missionary. Now, God extends the gospel to the furthest reaches of the world for his glory. This is a passage that we've used many times in missions conferences, but Isaiah 49, 6-9, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. Now look at this phrase. I will also, in addition to the nation of Israel, I will also, that's what that phrase means, right? Make a light of the nations, make you a light of the nations so that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. See, Paul believed this, didn't he? Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One to to the despised one, Christ, to the abhorred one by the nations, that's Christ, to the servant, that's Christ of the rulers. Kings will rise, uh, will see and rise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. See, He's the glorious one. Oh, i got to finish here, but Acts 15. If you get time, read Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas have come back, and they're telling stories that God is saving the, the pagan ethnos, right? That's how they would have referred to them, the Gentiles, the pagan ethnos. They come back and said, God's saving them. You're not going to believe these stories we're going to tell you. All of a sudden, the Pharisees stand up who, the Bible says, that were believers, but they were still holding on to this law, and they said, okay, well, look, that's great, but we got to have them do this, this, and this. And then Peter stands up. The council meets. Peter comes back, and he says, look, we can't make them do any of these things. And after, look at verse, uh, uh, chapter 15, 13. After they had stopped speaking, there's this argument going on, quite intense. James answers and says, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So Simon's probably got a passage like Isaiah 49, and he's going, Look! (laughs) God said this, and he said he's going to do it to his servant, and we know who that is. So let's get on board and do what God's doing. And they said, good. And they send Paul and Barnabas back out on another missionary journey. Hebrews chapter 13, 13. I went in with this verse. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his approach. This comes from a biography on Charles Wesley. Let me just read this to close with you and help you see where um, you may not have to go to the Philippines. In fact, most of the nations are coming to us. And I know, I know we don't like what's happening at the borders. But let's rethink that when we think about the gospel. They're coming to us. Look at what Wesley does. Charles Wesley gives an example of how one might obey Hebrews 13, 13 and go outside the camp and bear the abuse Christ endured. On July 18, 1738, two months after his conversion, think about that, you got to remember, these men were at religious schools. They were raised in religious societies. They actually had a lot of academic knowledge. Once God saved them, they took off, right? So two months after his conversion, Charles Wesley did an amazing thing. He had spent a week witnessing to inmates in the Newgate prison with a friend named Bray, whom he described as a poor mechanic. I don't know what that means. One of the men they spoke to was a black slave that had robbed his master. He was sick with a fever and was condemned to die. On Tuesday, Charles and Bray asked if they could be locked in overnight with the prisoners who were to be executed the next day. This is way outside the camp. (laughs) Now, uh, part of the story that's not in this is the, the warden said, once we shut that gate and you go in there, we can't rescue you. These guys are dying tomorrow. They could do anything to you. The but not Wesley and Bray. They went in there. That night they spoke the gospel. 
They told the men that one came down from heaven to lost sinners. They described the suffering of the Son of God, his sorrow, agony, and death. The next day the men were loaded onto a cart and taken to Tiber in a place of public hanging. Charles went with them. Ropes were fastened around their necks so that the cart could be driven off and leave them swinging in the air to choke to death. The fruit of Wesley and Bray's night-long prayer was astonishing. Here, in, here is what Wesley wrote. They were cheerful, full of comfort, peace and triumph, assuredly, assuredly persuaded that Christ had died for them and waited to receive them in paradise. The black slave saluted me with his looks. As often as his eyes met mine, he smiled with the most composed, delightful countenance I've ever saw. We left them going to meet the Lord, ready for the bridegroom. When the cart drove off, not one stirred or struggled for life, but meekly gave up his spirits. Exactly at 12, they were turned off. I spoke, to the pseudo, I, I spoke a few suitable words to the crowd and returned full of peace and confidence in our friend's happiness. Now listen to what he says. That day under the gallows was the most blessed hour of my life. That's the spread of the glory of God. And God promises to save, brothers and sisters, and this is what missions is about. There's a lot of details we're teaching in the class about how you go and how you prepare and all those type of things. There's, there's a lot of work to go to the field. But if you don't go with the glory of God as the central message of all that we do anywhere, here or around the world, we'll fail miserably. Because God wants his glory spread to the nations. Will you help us do that? Amen? Father, thank you for a great reminder of your glory today. Lord, there are so many details to missions. Are they in a Muslim world? Are they in a Hindu world? Are they in a Latin world, a Catholic world? Are, are, there, are there idols there? What are their needs? What's the culture like? All those things, Lord. They're all important. But there's nothing more important than the message. And so, Lord, we pray that you would raise up men and women, young people, second career missionaries, people who come out of our seminary and our Bible school and our grade schools and our high schools and our youth groups and our crossroads. Make missionaries out of them, Lord. Cause us to see the glory of God, that it's worth investing in it, to see the spread of the glory of God to the nations. Lord, we want to rejoice as we stand before you one day and cry out, worthy is the Lamb to be slain. He was worthy, and there before him stands people from every people group in the world. Because that's God's goal. Lord, may we, we be excited to spread your glory. May we speak of who you are to those we know. Lord, let it start in our prayer life. Tonight, God, cause us to pray in such a way that exalts your glory. Before we ever request, may we request in your glory that you're worthy of our prayer, you're worthy of our exaltation, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, let us, let us find great joy in doing those things. Lord, help us keep running this race. There's a glorious end to it. In Jesus' name, amen.